Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. On today's episode, I'm joined by one of British TV's most famous faces, Richard Hammond. Stepping into the spotlight over 20 years ago, Richard became one third of the iconic trio to front the BBC's motoring show Top Gear, alongside James May and Jeremy Clarkson. The show went on to become the world's most watched factual TV programme, as proven by the Guinness Book of Records. At its peak, 350 million viewers around the world were tuning in each week. The show saw the trio travel the globe to take on epic motoring challenges, which they've since continued on the Grand Tour on Amazon Prime, where the three of them embark on car-related challenges across the world too. Now, when I say these shows have taken Richard all over the world, I'm not exaggerating. The filmography includes Norway, Canada, Botswana, Vietnam, Chile, Argentina, Namibia, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Israel, India, Madagascar, Mongolia, and that's only about half of them. Richard recounts some of these epic adventures on today's episode, taking us from Canada to Botswana to Bolivia, as well as to some much-loved spots on British soil. In his newest show, Richard Hammond's Workshop on Discovery Plus, he trades his jet-setting lifestyle for a long-standing dream to set up a classic car restoration business close to his home in Herefordshire. So, without further ado, let's fasten our seatbelts and hear from Richard now. Richard Hammond, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It is so exciting to see you today. How are you? I'm very well and I am delighted to be here, really, um, because travel is something that I did never expect would occupy such a huge part and space in my life, but yeah. it turned out to do just that. Exactly. I mean, reading, you know, reading up ahead of today's interview and obviously having watched so many of your shows over the years, I think it's really more a case of where haven't you been now, whereas where, where have you been? <laughs> It does feel a bit like that. Well, I don't know. I think the more you travel, the more you actually realise, no, the world is still pretty enormous, actually. Yeah. Um, and you start to see scale and contrast and difference in places that aren't always that far apart, which makes it's a reminder that you know, it, it might be a new digital world that makes it smaller in one sense, but there's still lots of corners of it to explore. And is it something that you feel passionately about? Obviously, it's a huge part of your job, but like, are you well, a, a, a traveller at heart, would well, you say? Do you know, that's the weird thing. Um, I probably always thought I was when I was a kid, because it's kind of heroic, isn't it? Travel is cool. Yeah, I'm a wanderer. <laughs> uh, and I maybe did, but I didn't go further than sort of doing long distance walks on my own in this country. I didn't have the money to travel far. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um so I never defined myself as a traveller, but I'm not a reluctant traveller. Mm -hmm. And the job I do is about seeking out and telling stories. And inevitably, that demands travel. Exactly. Otherwise, the stories are all the same. Yeah. So um, it's woven into everything else that I pursue. So it's a sort of necessary but very entertaining and very welcome byproduct of my job. Absolutely. Well, so we're going to go on a journey today through the seven chapters of your yes. life's travel diaries. Yes. So let's go back to the very beginning. Chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory. What comes to mind? Um, 
honestly, I was thinking, do, do I dress this up? What I put in? And and actually, <laughs> truth of it is, as a family, so me and my two brothers, so there's three boys, my mum and dad, we all lived um, in Birmingham. My mum, thanks to her father, was a very, is a very keen camper. So we were always under canvas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also happens to be quite a lot cheaper, which is a factor and was, but it also gave us a sense of adventure because, you know, at the age of five upwards, those nights under canvas, and this is the days, by the way, of proper canvas tents, which if you touch the canvas, the water comes through. <laughs> yes. It, it would be raining because we were in the UK. So my earliest distinct travel memory of thinking, this is an adventure, was one of our usual camping trips, which were to the Forest of Dean. If you live in Birmingham, the Forest of Dean is, weirdly, I now live, I can see it from my window. I'm looking at it now, I can see the Forest of Dean. But really? And we, it's become we, so popular now as a yeah. travel destination oh, yeah. because it was in, it was featured in Sex Education, wasn't it, on yeah. Netflix. And, and so, so now everyone has flock, flocked there since COVID, yeah. Well, it, it, in those days, it was full of brummies um, like right. me. So, right, we're off to the Forest of Dean, here we go. And I'd have spent, you know, we have to spend all afternoon strapping all the tents to the car and putting all the stuff in. And the car wasn't really big enough to accommodate three boys, mum, dad, and all the kit. All crammed in. Oh, yeah. And we'd set up the tent, um, two tents, one for me and my brothers, one for mum and dad. Uh, not big frame tents, by the way. These are the little ridge tents, the proper old ones. And my first what I'd say would be a travel, I'm having an adventure, was uh, at Biblins, where we always used to stay. Still there. I've driven past it today, these days. Um, there, there used to be, I think there still is, a swing bridge over the river. Why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could see through it. It was like wire mesh under your feet. And my dad's not very good at heights. Neither's one of my brother's. Me, I loved it. It was like, this is unbelievably exciting. It was out of the norm. It was... It wasn't a pavement between uh, the house and the school. It was, you could see through it. In my mind, the River Wye was full of crocodiles and hippos and it was all there. It was incredibly vivid, still with me. And Mm -hmm. still with me, the the more nervous my my poor dad and my brother got, the more thrilled I was. Do you know what (laughs) I mean? When somebody else's fear magnifies your lack of fear. So you were a bit of a daredevil when you were younger? Um, Yeah probably was idiot. <laughs> as far as I was concerned it was something out of a comic book it was something out of an adventure story this walking over this swing bridge I mean it moved in the wind and it flexed and when you put your foot down it buckled it's just a pedestrian bridge over a river uh, but to me it was I could have been Tarzan I could have been an explorer. This must have been what it was like as explorers, going to places. Maybe they'd lashed up this bridge themselves and were crossing it. It had all of that in it, and it gave me a sense of of wonder and thrill that I haven't lost and that I've been lucky enough to indulge. Not through my own efforts, I should hasten to add, but through work. Yeah. Oh, I love how vivid that memory was. And you mentioned just in passing there that you can see it from where you are now. So is that a place that then, you know, has also remained in your heart that you've chosen to be near to where Um, you live or? It's, it's just um, good fortune. I've ended up here. I mean, I was born in Birmingham, raised in Birmingham. So we would always have standard family holidays, camping in the Forest of Dean, sometimes out in Wales or up in the Lake District 
Sunday mornings were over to the Mulvern Hills to go for a walk on the Mulverns. Work took me around all over the place. I met my wife, Mindy, when we were both working in London. She's from Cheltenham. Mm -hmm. When I drifted back into broadcasting, having had a brief hiatus, I had a proper job for a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, We drifted out and lived in Cheltenham because she was from there. And I could because my work was everywhere and anywhere. We kept moving west and we ended up here where I am in ross on Wye now, which coincidentally puts me right between the Forest of Dean and the Mulvern Hills, which are the two places we gravitated to when I was a kid growing up in Birmingham. But it, yeah. it wasn't deliberate. But I do sometimes think about it when I'm riding my motorcycle around the lanes here or when I'm out running on a Sunday. I think, wow, this is I now live where we used to come to get away from it all. So I've yeah. got away from it all. But of a course, full it's where circle I live now, moment, so. yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah. just purely by happen chance, not, not deliberate in any way. Hmm. So chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with, yes. Richard. Where yes. would that be? It's an equally distinct memory uh, and uh, it's equally <laughs> an exotic. Well, you see, no, I say an exotic because anywhere in the UK isn't exotic if you live in the UK. But obviously, if you live in Singapore or Sydney, it's, it is exotic and remote. So the first time I had a conscious sense of falling in love with a place, uh, when I was 17, it had been suggested by the school at which I was studying for A-levels that perhaps I might like to go somewhere else, mm-hmm. anywhere else, just <laughs> not there anymore. So they slung me out, um, not for anything exciting, just for being an irritant. <laughs> which is at best, that's what I wasn't, you know, I didn't set fire to anything. I've got no heroic stories. About. I was just annoying. So that I, I wasn't going there anymore. Right. And I'd, I, I realized I had to do something. So I'd got into art college, but that didn't start until the following year. Our family isn't the sort of, you know, in those days, gap years, that sort of stuff didn't exist. But I wanted to do something. And I'd just read, I think it was John Merrill's book, wasn't it? When he walks around the whole of the coast of the UK. And I thought, oh, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. But it takes a year. And I didn't have a year. So I thought, well, I can't go around it. I'll go across it. Nobody had told me about Alfred Wainwright's books at that time. So I didn't know there was a coast-to-coast walk. But logically, I was living in Ripon, the whole family was at the time. The logical route was broadly, in fact, almost exactly Wainwright's walk. So I bought the OS maps, 1 to 50,000 scale, laid them out on my bedroom floor. It's a long way to walk at 1 to 50,000 scale. <laughs> and I designed yeah. my route. Um, I, you know, I had to camp, so I had a very basic rucksack. In the days when framed rucksacks, the frame was outside. So it was a sort of cumbersome aluminium frame on your back with everything on. It, they were terrible. Um, uncomfortable or and very very heavy yeah so I set off with this pack the only way I could pick it up would be to sort of lift it and put it on a bench if there was one nearby or a rock if I was in the wilderness and sort of crouch down and strap it on and sort of stand up from there I needed a lift to get the thing up in the air Um, and I walked for two weeks with my dog Abby Border Collie and I got to the final leg I went east to west and the final leg having crossed the Pennines um, I walked up into the Lake District and dropped down into Buttermere, which is in the northwest corner of the lakes. And that evening I was camping at Sykes Farm Campsite, which is a lovely little site in Buttermere itself. And I'd saved up, I'd scratched together enough funds to buy myself one pint in the Bridge Hotel. So I sat at, I'd never been there before. I sat 
um, in the beer garden at the Bridge Hotel. It was a lovely evening. My dog was next to me, nursing this one pint of beer that I had. Uh, and some sheep came into the beer garden and my sheepdog hid under the bench and, and people <laughs> sniggered and laughed. And I got chatting to one lad there my age, a guy called Les, whose dad owned the campsite. And he was the farmer's son. And we're still best friends. He was down here oh. this weekend, just gone. Um, wow. Staying with me for a bit. I go up there and I I consciously fell in love with Buttermere. The real moment when it happened was the following day. I set off and I walked up Samuel Gill, um, Red Pike, High Crag, High Style, down to Scarth Gap and then up to Haystacks. And Haystacks is where Wainwright's ashes are scattered. Mm. And it is the diamond in the Lake District. And from Haystacks, I looked down at the flat valley floor and I could see tiny black and white dots moving around and I could hear it was the farmer, the shepherd down there running up his sheep with a sheepdog like mine. I actually wept a little bit. Wow. I was I mean, only 17 yeah, and I, I was so overcome. I have to say that sounds, I mean, that's very brave to go off and do something like that in your teens. Firstly, is the first thing I think. Um, and also though, to be traveling on foot a long way, you'll have experienced so much more than if you were say you know tri- driving or on the train so oh, yeah. like what what kind of things do you feel you experience by walking that you wouldn't have experienced otherwise in particular i think it's a it's a beautiful pace at which to move through the world it's the pace for which we are primarily designed and there's a real sense that our senses can absorb what's going on around you at that pace because that's what they're optimized for and mm. it allows time for thought um, I learned about self-reliance. I learned about the importance of having only a, as few things with you as possible, but that each one counts and has a purpose and has to be looked after because if you lose it, you're in a spot of bother. Mm. Um, I, I also, the benefit of doing that route, and, and if you're thinking about it, anyone do it. For one reason above all, I, I did lots of long distance walks as a, a youngster, Cleveland way and all sorts. But the joy of something like a coast to coast, if you're walking east to west, ultimately, just get up in the morning and head west. And it Mm -hmm. it was absolutely that purity of thought that it it afforded. It was just, I miss that feeling about that trip more than anything else. And there was some beautiful moving and grueling. got lost in Grisdale Forest for half a day. I remember crying because I was lost. Hang on a second, Rich, you're not lost. You can't Um, whip out your phone. No, not in those days. There were no phones. Um, Well, no mobile phones. Um, It was was exquisite for the, the clarity of purpose to get up in the morning and think, right, what I've got to do now is move 25 miles west of here, ending up there. Mm. And it, it was, it was There's a simplicity I to it, isn't there? I would love to do another walk like that. It's only a couple of weeks. It's not, it's 200 and something miles. It's not, I'm, there are runners that will do that in two days. Not me, I should hasten to add. <laughs> but it, it was absolutely breathtaking and kind of formative. It, it probably was actually, yeah. And I still got, I mean, Buttermere, it remains, I fell in love with it then, and it remains to this day, my single favourite place in the whole world, Barna. Really? Yeah. So if you were going to have a holiday in the Lake District, would you base yourself in Buttermere? Yeah, would yeah. you recommend that? No, because I don't want it to get full of people, <laughs> although it is now. I mean, the, yeah. the, the funny thing is I've always gone off peak because I was just, you know, 
I remember a few years later, I was starting work in radio, but could barely afford to eat. Um, so I got a job working at a, a place to support that, um, selling antique pine furniture. Fabulous bloke used to run it out of an old Napoleonic water mill <laughs> um, just outside Ripon. And he, I got a company van, like a brand new van. It was just but the potential for that was incredible. And so I turned it into a camper van by from a holiday by putting an old armchair in the back. And I, I, I lashed in a, one of those big wooden tea chairs and put all my walking kit in it. So I've still got a walking stick that I found doing the Cleveland Way the year before I did Coast to Coast. I still have it. So that's 30 five it's it's over there i still have it yeah. i found it on the floor just a piece of stick so that was in there and my boots and bits and pieces and i drove up to buttermere on my holiday but it was still off peak i never went when it was sunny and summery so i never experienced it when it's full until recent years and then i've realized oh it's not my secret place is it it's <laughs> a lot of people's se- secret places. oh yes and what do you do when you go there on holiday now walk you walk yeah, yeah, drink too much in the evenings. Yeah. Definitely. The Bridge Hotel with AD who runs it. So me and AD who owns runs the Bridge Hotel, um, and it's been in his family. Um, and Les, the farmer, we're still firm, firm friends. I, I love them. So yeah, I, I go up and I usually if I get there late at night, Les always says, Oh, drop in, I'll have some supper for you. And he makes me a bit of supper. Uh and then yeah, I, it's, I, I get up in the morning early as I can and I head for the hills. I'm oh, not as good i'm not as confident at navigating as i used to be i still but i do it for those moments when the little boy bursts out and wants to cry because the the little boy in me is lost and anxious and thinks if i go along that path there through that mist does it just drop away and there's nothing no i know as a 52 year old man of course there's a way you'll turn around and walk back if you've got to but the little boy in me is thrilled and and fears monsters in the hills. And I love to I love to go and explore that and, and be privileged enough to have those feelings again, those lovely yeah. childish feelings. Oh, I mean, it sounds like such a formative place for you. And yeah. our next chapter is chapter three, which is the place where you learn the most about yourself. <laughs> Obviously, you learned a lot on that trip and, I did. and there. Uh, but perhaps is there another place that also comes to mind? Yeah. Um, not long after I'd been... I was brain injured in a big, fast car crash because I'm an idiot. Um, and I was not long out of recovery. And for Top Gear, we decided we wanted to make the Polar Special. So the three of us would go to the Magnetic North Pole. Jeremy and James would be in a car. I'd be with the dog team. Um, my surgeons were a little surprised when we pitched it to them because we said, well, what happens? It's going to be minus 50, minus 60 and sleeping in a tent. What happens to a recently brain injured patient? And they said, well, we don't know because we haven't really had that. <laughs> they, would, they would ask that, yeah. Um, so I had to go out quite early, weeks ahead of the others, to learn how to run the dog team to acclimatize. Wow. And I suspect for people to make sure I wasn't going to fall apart. But I was completely on my own. I stayed with Maddie, who was a polar explorer. She's been everywhere. And it was uh, on the flight of, so flying over on my own. Um, first time I've traveled since I've come out of hospital, really. Yeah. And you were, and, just to give the, the listeners some, a, a little bit more context in case they're not familiar with this massive crash that happened back in 2006. Are you able to just give a little overview um, of what happened? Yeah. I was driving a, um, a jet uh, powered dragster car. Uh, at 320 miles an hour, or 310. It would have been a British land speed record, by the way, if I'd gone the other way, but I didn't. I crashed it. Uh, And a tyre blew, um, and it flipped and crashed and rolled, and I was brain injured and in hospital for a long time. 
recovery. It's it's a, a lot of time staring through Rain Street Hospital windows, questioning your own sanity and mind. But yeah. probably, you know, it's, it's now absorbed into my life. It's simply one of the things that happened to me along with getting married, having kids, getting jobs, losing jobs, all of those things. So I wasn't long through that. And, and the, you were in hospital, like you were in a, you were in a coma for a couple of weeks. Um, I mean, it was coma for a couple of weeks and then very confused. Had a short term, sort of two minute memory for quite a long time. Um, Just it, that really does provide some important context for how major yeah. then it would be to be going off, like you say, to oh, the North Pole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some of my emotional controls were a little um, wonky. And mm. my sort of emotional thermostat was somewhat damaged, but it was really? bending by then. Right. And I got off the aeroplane told I was going to go and stay with this famous Arctic explorer, Maddie. Um, and I thought, wow, maybe she lives in like an ice castle. And I had this vision of something at a Disney with all ice down the side of it and turrets. And we get to Iqaluit, northern Canada, in the Arctic Circle, where she lived. And the taxi delivered me to this, <laughs> along a cul-de-sac, to a bungalow, exactly like my mother-in-law's in Cheltenham. <laughs> all right, that's not what I was expecting. So I stayed there for a few weeks. Um, learning how to run with a dog team and do all of that. And then I went over to Resolute Bay where the rest of the team was joining and they all joined. And I ran up to them and just grabbed hold of their legs just to see somebody I knew. Um, but then we set off and we were, I can't remember how long we were on the ice for. I was with the dog team. So it was me, Maddie and the dogs and the sledge and a very small crew. The guys were with a bigger crew in the car because the main story was the car. Obviously, we were a car show, not a dog sled show. And I, I wanted to, to, to put that in as the place where I learned the most about myself because I think I did. I mean, I was learning about myself every day anyway because once you've – anybody who's been through head injury, brain injury, and, and a lot of people have, um, will know what I mean when I talk about staring through a Rain Street hospital window, questioning your own mind. It's, it's a lovely phrase, but it, it's what you do. Um, so I learned a lot about who I was, who I – wanted to be I also learned a lot of practical stuff because alongside that you know it's 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 cold <laughs> we were sleeping in tents on the ice um and again harking back to my early walking experiences I only had so many things with me two pairs of gloves but if you lose a glove you're going to lose that hand yeah it's high stakes if you in lose that a environment torch, if you lose you you only have so many so I learned a lot about personal admin about taking responsibility for yourself you know when we're filming yes of course we have support because everybody needs that so somebody will probably remember where your shoe is <laughs> it's not we're not supported that heavily and it's just as well and, and that's where we learned the lesson uh certainly where i learned the lesson about just self-reliance and as personal admin and how about confidence as well but, but being the first time you had done something like that um i think um, I'm a television presenter. My job's about feigning confidence in any circumstance, isn't it? That's what I do professionally put on a face. So any battles with confidence are internal and, and not locked up in work. So I, I probably, I probably didn't, I probably didn't learn much about that. I'm used to facing things I'm nervous of and just, you just got to put on a front and get on with it. Today's episode is supported by Sonvis, a five-star paradise designed for families with its own organic farm in South Tyrol on the border of the Dolomites Mountains. 
Now, parents, listen up. Sonvis have nailed the dream family travel scenario to an extent that I've not seen before. The hotel offers 70 free hours of childcare and 60 hours of babysitting per week while you can go and escape to their glorious adults-only spa and the ski slopes. I mean, what an amazing setup. Its cuisine caters to the special needs of babies, children and adults using products from their own South Rolian mountain farm. And while you're making use of that babysitting service, adults can enjoy a five-course menu every evening with the best wines from South Tyrol and from all over the world. As we head into the winter, a stay at Sonvis offers a free ski pass for the whole family with direct access up to the beginner slope and ski school. It really is the perfect place to have that first taste of the mountains with your family. And for the summer months, its farmhouse is home to a pony paddock for riding, a petting zoo, five pools, water slides and baby to teen care. There are family rooms and suites suited for all sizes, some with fireplaces, some with private saunas and hot tubs too. So are you tempted? Head over to their website, sonvis.com. That's S-O-N-N-W-I-E-S.com to find out more. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travelers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. I imagine being in that environment, like that extreme environment is, is, it's, 
you know, it's obviously such a, a shock to the, the system, but it's also absolutely magnificent. Like this kind of weird, like oh. brutalness, but beauty. So was it was oh, it as beautiful simply, as I imagine? Simply loved it. Yeah. Simply loved it. Simple things, you know. With it was twenty four hour daylight. Never quite got dark. So we could roll the clock. So we ran the optimum time with the dogs. So if the dogs wanted to do eight hours, we'd do eight hours, stop, pitch the tent, camp for six, run again for another session. So totally throwing away what day is it? Mm. What time is it? It was, do I need calories now? Because I'm running behind the dog sledge and at minus 50, you are burning energy. So I need to shovel down peanuts and chocolate. Am I, wait a minute, am I starting to sweat up a little bit if I'm running off the sledge? then that's, you can't, because when you stop, that sweat, you will cool, it will freeze, you'll end up with wet clothes with ice and then hypothermia comes in, bad. So all of those practical skills, you're in a place that really, unless you think very carefully about it, you're not designed for, you're not going to live for long. I mean, we were hunted for a couple of days by a mother polar bear and cub. Wow. Because we were going past, is it Bathurst? Um, which is a big polar bear migratory path. And she was just hanging around, you know. You spotted well, her? Hoping to, yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw her regularly for days and days. Um, I did I did say to Maddie, well, hang on a minute. We've got the dogs with us. There are 20-odd dogs um, staked out on the line outside our tent. Surely that'll scare the polar bear away. And she said, well, not really. It just, it just means if the polar bear comes, it's really hungry. So, right, so it's filtering out. If a polar bear comes, that means we know it's a really brave, hungry polar bear that wants to feed her cub. So you are in a place that's everything. So, so many of the other places we go are designed to fit us. That one isn't. And it mm. was an absolute privilege to to go somewhere where you are stripped back to your bare essentials. Mm. Um, doesn't matter how big your bank account, how plush your office, how big your friendship circle, how well-groomed you are, makes no difference. If there's a polar bear outside your tent, it doesn't matter. Mm. That kind of experience of reconnecting or connecting with nature it seems like the the walking trip and then this that 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 is something that means a lot to you to be yeah. just out in the with mother nature essentially yeah to be smaller than it to be smaller than something mm. i'm not a city person mm. um i'm getting better but i'm intimidated by them and and ultimately bored because there's only so much width to the full scope of what humans can do, generate experience between them. And once you've, there's only so much a city can offer. Being out on the ice and finding the remains of a caribou hmm. and thinking for a moment, wait a minute, that is a, a vegetarian creature that's been put out here in this world of ice. All it can do to survive is lick lichen off rocks in the few places where it appears at certain times of year. And this one had obviously lost that fight. And to just stand and look at that and then to see a polar bear mother, utterly, utterly beautiful thing. Terrible. I mean, it is, it's not scared of us because it doesn't, well, sadly, they probably will be eventually, but 
certainly that one had no reason to be scared of humans. Mm. Um, also, it's it's a creature that's used to, unlike lions. I mean, I've, I've camped near lions, but if there's a lion outside your tent, it really doesn't matter. It's not, it's not, not, not interested because their food doesn't come in tins. But a polar bear's food does. They hunt seal pups and they live in agloos under the ice. They scent prey. They smash their way through the ice to get to it. There's a sense that that's how their prey comes. It's in a box. A tent is just a box with you in it. Um, that realisation is like, <laughs> yeah, imagine quite yeah, a daunting I'm in, one. I'm in a lunchbox. Um, <laughs> yeah. But again, that sense of, of being reminded of your place in the world, being reduced to just being a creature, I, I simply loved it. Mm, sounds absolutely unforgettable. And I mean, you have been to so many unforgettable places on a, but on a TV production mm-hmm. schedule. So, I mean, you've got a, a lovely family. I wondered where comes to mind when I ask, when you've been filming and you've been in, in, in summer absolutely amazing that you've said, right, I've got, to, I've got to come back here on my own holiday with my own family, my own time, because this has been so memorable. Um, probably, uh, I mean, we have, we have traveled a fair bit. We've, we've done quite a lot of, of African countries as a family because they love safaris. Um, but they've I got prob- the love of nature too. Oh yeah. I probably want to take them to a rainforest. I don't know how much they'd want to come. because they can be challenging but yeah i mean i've been to the rainforest is a big sweeping statement there's a lot of them and a lot of it but when it's good when it's just so rich so alive so multi-layered so colorful so noisy and Mm. busy um and i know they'd love it so moving on to chapter four richard this is the big one, your all-time favourite destination. Where comes to mind today? That is a really difficult one to answer. I did give it some thought. I mean, my my stock immediate answer is Buttermere, but that's just because my soul lives there. I know that. When I, when I was in a coma, that's sort of where my brain went. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I love... To say you love Africa, that's ridiculous. It's enormous. It's a continent. Uh, but th- th- there are there are there are parts that I love to visit. I and mean, I, I love Botswana. Um, mm-hmm. There are there are bits there. Mozambique. There are bits. I mean, it's so difficult where you can go and not go. So I don't know. I'd, I'd say probably I'd, I'd be generic. I'd have to be generic. So my dream destination. Okay. I'll go completely against all of that. My dream destination is a wooded hillside anywhere in the world, whether Canada, Iran, it doesn't matter. I've been to wooded hillsides. And whether you're looking out for gorillas, hoping to see a hoopoo, or maybe just listening to wood pigeons, a a, a forest on a hill. No one has ever said that before. And so now I'm thinking about what it is that would make you pick that in particular. Is it... Why why would you say a forest on a hill? Uh, I think we're from forests and I think they're busy places and there's shade, there's protection, there's resources, there's shelter, there's food. I feel that we belong there as, as a creature. We're, that's, there's everything you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're welcoming. Uh, unlike the pole or ice cap, I mean, no part of the world wants 
or doesn't want people there. It's not interested. But if they could, if places could want you, I feel a forest would want you there. Mm. Um, it's a welcoming place. And you mentioned just then um, that whether that's in Canada or Iran. So have you been to memorable forests in both of those destinations in particular? Um, yes. Um, and across the Middle East, we, we, we traveled extensively over a couple of years. Canada, definitely. When we did a, we made a film where, uh, the story was I would be abandoned on a hillside on top of a mountain and I'd have one of those watches where you pull the aerial out mm-hmm. and that would alert the other two and they'd rescue me. And it was a very funny film because not surprisingly, they didn't really rush. So I was on a <laughs> snow clad mountain in a forest. Um, and for the purposes of the show, I was having an absolutely terrible time and de- desperately unhappy, but I was having the best time ever. The crew were all accommodated further down the mountain in a big hut, but I was, I'd pitched just a little tent up on top of the hill and built a bivouac around a tree. And I'd said to the, the guys, look, I think this will work better if I do it. I can't fake this. Um, it got dark at about half two in the afternoon. So we couldn't do any more filming each day. So they would disappear off down to their big shelter and I'd stay in my tent. I had a bottle of strawberry gin that my wife had made for me. I took that with me. I'd made a fabulous fire pit um, and a bivouac around a tree. Yeah. And I'd rigged up a device for hanging a kettle off um, and for supporting uh, saucepans over a, over a fire. I, honestly, I was so annoyed when they came to rescue. I'd still be there. I could not have been happy. It the was, alternative ending. It was really difficult because on TV I had to be, and it, you know, it's not difficult to say, oh, come and get me and rescue me. And then when we'd finished all of that, the crew would all go down the hill and I just kick back and think, this is heaven. I'd brought a load of books, good torch. I was perfectly and blissfully happy. <laughs> so you might be pitching that for your uh, next special then, uh, uh, part two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd like to just go. I'd like to just go. Oh, maybe I'm reaching a point where it's time for me to travel without the demands of work. Just travel <laughs> yeah. for the, the joy of it. My listeners are really into road trips. You know, they've become more popular than ever in the last few years. And obviously you have, with both Top Gear and the Grand Tour, taken some epic road trips all over the world. Some that are not really manageable for like the average Joe with our big team but some that are and so I wondered in terms of all-time favorites whether you could recommend your all-time favorite road trip route in many ways the best road trip we ever did was in that little yellow Opel Cadet Oliver that I still have when we drove across uh, Botswana um, and the McCaddy Salt Flats um and I know you were going to ask for a hidden gem. Is that's one of your that, things? That's our it? next chapter, yeah. Well, it kind of... Does that, that lead us of, on to it? Chapter well, five, yeah. your, your hidden gem. Because <laughs> it, fab- it was a fabulous road trip. I mean, I like Botswana. I've, I have dubbed it before the Cotswolds of Africa. It is sometimes <laughs> a bit too nice, um, but it's lovely. Uh, and the hidden gem is in the middle of the Makadi Kadi salt flats, which are a dried out sea. So they're salt flats where there used to be water and there's just a crust of salt over millennia of ooze. Um, and in the middle of it rises this, what, as you can clearly see, was an island when it was a sea. It looks like one just sticking out green and large out of this vast white plain of salt. Mm. And on Kubu Island are baobab trees 
And they were something I had wanted to see since, I think for about my eighth birthday, I got for my birthday a big encyclopedia of nature and it had a big full page in the days of painting, not even a photograph of a baobab tree. And I don't know why it just, it just stuck with me. At all, and, and it, it seems so exotic and as though from another world. And, and I knew in advance they were on Kubo Island. So as soon as we, we drove, we had all sorts of adventures driving there and cars breaking through the ice and all of that. But we got to this island and there they were. And I said, and I think it actually made it into the show. I rested my hand on the side of the tree and I said, it's like resting your hand on the flank of a dinosaur. It was to me because it was something from the books of my childhood and it yeah. felt a childhood fantasy made real or something that was maybe seemed real in your childhood made real in adulthood and just resting my hand on the flank of this thing and patting it was incredible oh how exciting i'll never forget setting foot on there and and seeing baobab trees well very much in contrast chapter six our penultimate chapter is your worst travel experience. <laughs> you, I, we've all witnessed quite a few of yours on the TV. <laughs> what comes to mind today? Well, it was Bolivia in the rainforest when um, we had three cars, as always, and I had a very old Toyota Land Cruiser, which I told the production had no clutch or brakes, but nobody would listened to that because it's just little me. Um, <laughs> so I, I didn't. I, mean, I could only start it in gear and then change clutchlessly and then stop it by turning the ignition off. Oh, but my we'd set, God. We'd, we'd filmed, we were battling through a, a track, a trail in the rainforest, and we'd finished filming for the day because it was dark, but we had to make the next destination, and it was an eight-hour drive. And I went to getting my truck, and as I looked up at the ceiling, there was an enormous brown spider upside down, and it was a canvas roof on the car, and the windows wouldn't shut which is why everything got in. Every time I drove past a tree, its bow would come in the car and deposit everything from the tree into the car, amongst which was obviously this spider. So I called the expedition nurse over and she came over and said, oh, that's a brown recluse. Uh, very dangerous. They're the ones that rot your skin off. They're really bad news. You're so, talking to an arachnophobic here as well. So okay. I'm, try- I'm trying, trying not to picture it too much. You're, you're, you're squirming <laughs> a little. So we, we, we knocked the thing off and, and got rid of it, we thought. And we set off. And it was just me in the car. I was following another car ahead with a crew in, but we weren't filming. We we're just traveling to get to the next destination to keep the, the journey going. It's a road trip. Um, and it's dark, so we couldn't film. And um, as not long into the journey, I felt something on my shoulder. And inevitably, I turned left. And there, sitting on my shoulder with its front legs up, was this enormous brown spider. Thought, oh, no, it's going to bite me, and I'm going to die horribly in the rainforest. I knocked it off my shoulder, cut the ignition, threw myself out the car, grabbing the radio, and just said to the camera car up ahead, lads, stop. Come back quick, check me for spiders. They came back with torches. There were none on me. But then I realized, wait a minute, I knocked it off into the car again. And there's another seven hours ahead. So I stuck about two hours. And this is the really cruel bit. I I was just on edge, just a bag of nerves. And I just radioed ahead and said, guys, look, I'm really sorry. I can't carry on alone. I've got to have company. I need someone to talk to. The car stopped and the door opened and they threw out this little fella we called then Thin Greg. And he was just a little thin young bloke. He'd only just started. He actually went on to be a serious producer and he's now gone on to great things in TV. But in those days, he was a runner and he sort of came up to me all pale and nervous, got in. Hello, I'm Greg. They call me Thin Greg. I know, mate. Sit there. Cover yourself in this. It was deet. That doesn't keep spiders away. But I didn't tell him that. And just keep your hands where you can see them. Don't touch anything. We'll be fine. And we carried on driving through the night. Yeah, it was great. 
And, he, and the spider never reemerged. Spider never reappeared. It's probably still in that car somewhere. How, how big was it? Oh, and it's like um, it's, it's it's it's. I mean, it looks like a really heavy house spider, but much bigger. I mean, but it's not. Rich's I mean, the, the, hands are pretty far apart. This it's is probably. <laughs> big as a saucer maybe no smaller than that oh, but it has a certain God. look to it and you don't you really don't you don't want to cross paths with it no oh. <laughs> very stingy very sore yeah. I, I imagine that um jeremy and james found it pretty hilarious though they weren't there because we, we had split up because sometimes on those road trips we've just got to make up ground you know if we're saying we're doing this journey we yeah. are doing this journey yeah um so we'd, we'd become split up. So we were just driving. They were going through their own adventures in their own cars. But I mean, when they heard about it, I'm oh, sure God, they weren't very hilarious. sympathetic. No, 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 not in any way. No, of course not. <laughs> what are their most annoying travel habits? I mean, you've probably traveled Being with them there. more than... <laughs> yeah. Well, than the, the funniest, the, there was a moment when we were somewhere, I can't remember where it was, it's when we realized we'd spent too long working together. I was merrily, we were in a hotel, so it was quite civilized, merrily spreading um, my morning toast with Marmite. And all of a sudden from behind me, James just exploded. So I am sick of the way you spread your Marmite on your toast in the morning. So why you take it all neatly up to the edge and then clean the knife by putting it into the crust? <laughs> I can't stand it anymore. And there was a pause. It's James. Yes. If you're sick of the way I spread my breakfast toast, I think that tells us we've spent too long living together, <laughs> all of us. <laughs> Have you guys set your sights on uh, your next kind of grand tour destination? Are there places... As we move on to our final chapter, the destination at the top of your travel bucket list. I mean, there's kind of like a professional one, maybe in a personal one. Like, is there a grand tour destination? We're always looking. It gets harder and harder. It, you know, the, you, we've got to find a story. We've got to make sure there's going to be a scene. And we've got to give something that uh, incredibly talented crew can do justice to. They are amazing. So we need to give them what they can work with to make something visually beautiful. Um, and obviously, with the changing world, it becomes harder and harder as to where can we go, where's safe, where's appropriate, where's advisable. Where are the places that are left that you I guys don't know. have? They <laughs> seem to be dwindling in <laughs> number. Few, by few the far week. between. Yeah, there, there, they are. Uh, but from a from a personal point of view, um, in terms of the destination that's at the top of your travel bucket list, either somewhere that you've not been that you've always wanted to go, or somewhere that you would love to go back to. Um, where, where is like well, the highest up there? I mean, there's two. One, um, um, don't laugh, and this isn't my final answer, but in, in a sense, home, because I've been 25 years on the road and a lot of the time living out of a suitcase. It's when I find myself walking about the house with the same wash bag tucked under my arm because I think, well, there's no point unpacking that in the bathroom because I'll be gone again next week. Mm. Um you know, one of the reasons with what I'm, my work now has brought me home with the, the workshop that I've set up down the road. So that is me actually, I go to work in the morning and come yeah. home again in the evening. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, but equally, I, if I were to, I'd, I'd love to go to the South Pole. I'd South love to Pole. do it. I'd love to yeah. do it. In a kind of expedition? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd, lo I'd love to have another go at, yeah, something really Really epic, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Richard Hammond. Those Welcome. were your travel diaries. It has been so much fun chatting to you. Oh, well, I hope it was of interest and thank you for having me on. Talk to you again. 
Our massive thank you to Richard Hammond. A thought-provoking, interesting episode and he was a real pleasure to talk to, a genuinely lovely guy. Season two of his TV show, Richard Hammond's Workshop, is available to stream exclusively on Discovery+. Plus. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear more from the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. And if you're really enjoying it, I'd be so grateful if you fancied leaving a quick rating or review. If you want to be the first to find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can't wait till then, remember there's the first seven seasons to catch up on. That's over 85 episodes to keep you busy there. Don't forget that all the destinations mentioned by my guests are always included in the episode show notes here on your podcast app. And they're also always on my website, thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll be back next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 